0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to ToledoCalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, hey, have you ever been caught by a train, anybody? (laughs) You're driving down the road, you wanna get somewhere. The other night, Ron and I had been out and about doing a bunch of things and we, we just wanted to get home and we got stopped by a train, no big deal you know the ching, jing 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 you see the things go down and you stop and then the train stops you ever had that happen and we had to make a decision and one of us said just wait it out oh good thing you weren't in the car i'm not sure where that came from but one of us said wait it out the other one said we ought to turn around wow okay and uh, so we waited And eventually it just kind of, not too much longer, I just started moving, but moving really slow. And then 10 minutes later, (laughs) it stopped again. (laughs) That's when we turned around. (laughs) And do you remember those moments where you're like, what do I do? How do I get out of this spot? Now it's just a train kept me from from getting home and and having a snack about 10 minutes uh, longer. But sometimes in life it's that way where you just feel stuck and you say, I wanna be somewhere other than here, and this is not where I wanna be, and I'm really not sure what the right response is, I don't even know that I know what it's gonna take to get there. It's not a good feeling, if you've ever been there, to be stuck by a train. It's even worse, if you've ever been there, to feel stuck in life. We've been in a series of messages that we've called Family Tree, and we've been looking at this is the, we'll wrap it up this week, kind of the genealogy, the lineage, the family tree of Jesus. Now, Matthew just starts his gospel like this. He just goes right to it because he wants us to know Jesus is the real deal. He's the legitimate offspring of Abraham, he truly is a king of Israel, and he walks us through this so that right out of the gate, you won't have to question Jesus' credibility. And we've been looking at different characters throughout this story. I wanna show you a character in this story that we often don't think about from the Gospel of Matthew. If you remember, the genealogy is just name after name after name after name. Verse 11 shows us this of Matthew chapter one. We read, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, remember this dude's name, Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Then after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and then it goes on name after name after name after name up until about verse 16. Now here's what's interesting is there's a character in there that we typically wouldn't look at. We would look at the names, but one of the major characters in this story is the exile. Now this is a time in biblical history where the people of God are exiled from the promised land and into enemy territory. This, this exile is so important that watch how Matthew actually organizes his whole genealogy. Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, when he concludes the whole, he gets through the whole list. Just before he logs off of Ancestry.com, he says this. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So he uses these key parts of Israel's history as benchmarks. He says, we got 14 generations from Abraham to David, because aren't those two of the key players in this story, folks, he says? And we've looked at Abraham, and we've looked at David, and then he says from David, to the exile, so he makes the exile a milepost. He, he makes it a, a place along the way where he says, this is a key part of our journey. Then the exile to the Messiah. Here's what I've come to find in my own brain. Now you, you, you might have a better handle on this as biblical scholars, but whenever I read about the exile, I go, oh yeah, I, I know what that is, until somebody asks me what it is. Anybody? <laughs> And then once they ask me, if I had to explain what it was, I'd be like, well, yeah, it's uh, it's that thing in the Bible, the exile, you know, it's the exile. But I don't really have a grasp on it. But if it's this important that Matthew makes it one of the really four kind of spots along the way that he wants to highlight Israel's history, what we realize is that the exile is a main character in this genealogy. The exile is a main character in scripture. So maybe we should take a few moments and understand why is this concept of exile so important to God's people, to the history of scripture, and maybe even to us. So this idea of exile, we're we're gonna look at a description of it. First is in Jeremiah chapter 29. Now as the Israelites are going into exile, we'll talk about what that means here in a moment, Jeremiah, who is a prophet, who is still in Jerusalem, so he's still in the capital city, of God's promised land that he gave to the Jewish people, he's in Jerusalem, he writes a letter to the people who are in exile in Babylon. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse one. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is key. So this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the the king, if you will, of Babylon, had this plan of domination, and he would go from place to place to place, and after he left Egypt, that opened up the doorway for him to move into, kind of up that Mediterranean coast to move into what we know as Palestine, or the promised land, or Israel, we use a lot of different terminology for that, and so Nebuchadnezzar comes, and he gets to Jerusalem in 597 B.C., So about 600 years before Jesus is born, 597 BC. And when he comes, he not only takes over Jerusalem, but he takes the best people in Jerusalem. This was after King Jehoiakim. Now here's what's cool to understand. We just read about a guy named Jeconiah. Do you remember his name? Jeconiah is also this guy, King Jehoiakim. He's called by two different names. And you go, why? Well, some of you have two different names, too, and, and it's, it's fine. And so it's, it's a long story. So King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans, had gone into exile from Jerusalem. So Nebuchadnezzar rolls up into town. He takes it over, and he says to himself, and this was the strategy of the Babylonians. When they would conquer, they would go in And they would take the very best people out of that place and take them back to Babylon with them. Do you remember reading about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego? Do you remember those guys in the Old Testament? Those are all Jewish boys who were pulled out of Israel and then exiled into Babylon. That's that's their story. So this was the strategy. Because if I take the best people from the land I've conquered, I have now handicapped. The land that I conquered, so I can rule them better. And if I take the best people back to my home, I now have the best craftsmen to build and I now have the wisest people to lead. And I now, can you see the strategy here? So Nebuchadnezzar comes in, he rips out of Jerusalem thousands of the very best people, takes them to Babylon, and they are now there in exile. What's exile? We, we kind of miss this in scripture because the books about the exile are not all in one order. Like Ezra, Nehemiah, those books that we read, those happen right after the exile, but they're, they're kind of earlier in our Bible. Esther, during the exile. Daniel, during the exile. In fact, several of the prophets write about the exile. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Joel. All these books have to do with this season of time but we miss it because our Bible isn't always in chronological order when we read it, but this is such a significant portion of scripture. What do we mean when we say exile? I guess in a nutshell, exile is when you're far from home and you don't wanna be there. You're forced to be stuck in a spot that you do not belong. It's not where you wanna be. You don't have the opportunities that you dreamed about you've probably lost something in the process and you find yourself so stuck that you're in this place you can't get out of and you can only hope to see someday the place where you came from, where you want to be, that's exile. The reality is scripture says we're all in exile because once you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you no longer truly are a citizen of this world, true? And so Philippians tells us that we are citizens of heaven, so even though we live in this world, we're not of this world. There's a deep, deep longing inside of us, not for our home in Northwest Ohio, but for our home in heaven. Anybody else? And if that's true, then that's why Peter uses the word exile to describe those that he writes to. If you remember, and we we did a whole series on this several years ago on the the letters of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter, he he starts out his letter by giving us his name. He says, hey, I'm Peter. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to, to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. He says, look, because of what Christ has done for you, you are now an exile in a world that is so foreign from who God is. In fact, a little bit later in the next chapter, he says this in 1 Peter chapter two, he says, dear friends, he says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, there's that word again, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He says, look, you're, a, you're an outsider here, so you don't live the same way. He says, you live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So some of us are exiles because the, the physical place where we are right now in life is not a place where we wanna be. And some of you may feel like an emotional exile because you just, I don't know, you just feel stuck. And all of us as followers of Jesus Christ are spiritual exiles that we are waiting for the day when we will finally be home with Jesus in heaven. So this word, this term, this concept of exile is hugely important in scripture. And I don't know that I always grasp how important it is. So here's what we're gonna do. Jeremiah chapter 29 is the prophet Jeremiah. Remember, he's in Jerusalem. He's writing a letter that God has given to him to the people who are in exile. So the things he's about to say really apply to all of us. They really, really apply to some of us. So we should pay attention to what he says to the people who are in exile. So here's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about what to do while in exile. If you find yourself in a place where you're stuck, if you find yourself in a place on the outside, if you find yourself in a place where you just don't fit, if you find yourself in a place you do not wanna be, what do you do when you're in that place? Jeremiah is writing the words of God to the people in exile. Here's what he says. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse four. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. (laughs) Remember the context here. These are people, this is still fresh, this is first generation exile. The exile will last about 70 years and then it'll take centuries later for them to truly come out of the effect of it. And there they are, they've lost their homes, they've lost their jobs, they've been separated from their families. They've most likely physically been drugged hundreds of miles from one place to another. There's language issues, there's culture issues, there's food issues, there's climate issues. Like you can imagine everything about their lives have been changed and now they get a letter from their buddy back home who's writing to these people who are totally in a place where they do not belong and they do not want to be. In that context, think of what he says to them, he goes, Build houses and settle down. (laughs) Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. This seems so backwards to me. Because shouldn't Jeremiah have said, all right, form a secret society, go underground, and then you overthrow those suckers. (laughs) Find an escape plan and get back. Find some way to get out of there. And instead he says, you know what? Why why don't you you settle down? Build a house. Put up a white picket fence. Meet a nice girl next door for your son. And have grandkids. Enjoy life there. And you just go, really? His his whole encouragement to them is this. Increase, do not decrease. When you're in the place you don't want to be, the last thing you want to do is put down roots. The last thing you wanna do is say, I'm gonna make the most of this, but that is exactly what Jeremiah tells them to do. First thing to do while in exile, number one, make the most of where you are, even if you don't wanna be there, even if you don't like this season, even if it's not the place you thought you would find yourself. Make the most of where you are. Increase, don't decrease. Too many times it's easy for us to go, I don't wanna be here, so I'll just, I'll just wait it out. You're stuck by the train, so you just sit there and mope. Instead, have a conversation. Listen to a podcast. Talk to God. (laughs) If you're stuck, make the most of it. Build a house. Have some kids. Put up the picket fence. Get a good job. Don't miss the moment that you're in. Make the most of it, he tells them, which is such an interesting concept. Because even in the place where you don't want to be, even when you're stuck, even when you're in exile, the first thing Jeremiah says to them is increase and do not decrease. You make the most of where you are. It's the same thing that, that Paul said to the church in Ephesus. You've got a church in Ephesus that is fighting against a culture that is filled with immorality, a culture that has no concept of the sanctity of life. It is a culture that has no idea of heavenly principles. And yet Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and says this, Ephesians chapter five, verse 15. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, you make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. He does not say, church, go hide in your basement. He does not say, go figure out some way that you can just steer clear of any challenges. He says instead, I know the days are evil. I know you're facing challenges. I know there will be difficulties that come your way. I'm just telling you, when you have the chance, make the most of every opportunity. Don't miss the things that God puts in front of you to do because he will do those things. So many times when we're, when we're stuck, we just wait or we mope or we get frustrated. Instead of decreasing, choose to increase. I, I talked to a friend who got a promotion recently. It was, it was fun because it was his dream job, like this opportunity that came his way. He came and told me with a big smile on his face. And he didn't just win the job lottery. They didn't just draw his name out of a hat. He didn't just wake up one day after sitting around and somebody offered him a dream job. The reason he got offered a dream job is because for years before that, he had done a good job in the place where he was. And when they were looking for someone to fill that dream job, the natural choice was this guy because they had watched him do a good job He may not have always wanted to be in that spot, but he made the most of where he was, and because of that, God was able to prosper and bless him later. Does that make sense? So many times we look at the challenges that are right in front of us, and we're prone to just go, this isn't gonna work, I'm not gonna get out of this, nothing's gonna change, what do I do? Sometimes you just gotta make the most of it. Group of tourists were in Australia, this just happened week before last, they were in Australia. They, they were vacationing on this little island resort. The only way to get there is by helicopter. So they took the helicopter over to this lodge, and they had spent their time there. And it was that morning, it was time for them to leave. And they were up on the deck of this lodge, and they were about to go down. And there was just one path that you had to go from the, the lodge to where the helicopter was. And as they were getting ready to leave, a crocodile came and just kind of stood right there in the path. Watch what happens next. Here's a a video that's uh, kind of fun to see. Here comes the, you see the crocodile? Here comes the owner of the lodge. Get him, toga. That's that's so good, I want to see it again. Watch this, watch this, watch what happens. Crocodile frying pan. Let's hear it for the frying pan. guys we'll never get out of here now there's a crocodile guess we're stuck we'll never make the helicopter and he said get out of my way mate right took that frying pan and went to town look don't let the circumstances in life define everything I know there's things you can't change you may still be in Babylon the people around you may not be nice the circumstances may not be what you want. You may be suffering. It may be difficult. But what Jeremiah says is make the most of every opportunity that comes your way. And then he says this to them, why? Because you, you ask the question, <laughs> why does he say this? Because of this, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse seven. He says, by the way, he's, he's writing this. Hey, hey, build your houses, have some kids, start a little family, put up the white picket fence, increase, don't decrease. Also, also, while you're there, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. What? Exile's such a negative word, isn't it? Nobody wakes up and goes, hope I get exiled today that place I carried you into exile, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you will prosper. This, this idea here of peace and prosperity is all wrapped up in one word in the Hebrew. It's a word you've probably heard before. It's the Hebrew word for peace. It's the word shalom. The second thing I would encourage you to do while you're in exile is that you work for shalom, that you work for for peace that you strive for prosperity the the new living translation of, of jeremiah chapter 29 uses these words i like this he says and work for the peace don't don't just don't just seek it you work for the peace and prosperity of the city where i sent you into exile pray to the lord for for its welfare that welfare is also the word shalom for its welfare will determine your welfare You work for shalom, you work for peace in that place because if you find that peace there, what's what's shalom, what's peace? It's all aspects of life. The, The English word peace really doesn't do it justice. There's a much richer connotation that's there in the Hebrew. It's not just an absence of conflict or turmoil, but it's this idea of a positive blessing, provision, wholeness in every area of life particularly in a relationship with God. And so where you're at, you work for the peace, the prosperity of the place to which I've called you. Jesus encourages us to do this. One of the last things he says to his disciples in the upper room before his crucifixion is this, John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, peace, or shalom, I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Even if you are in exile, you seek that kind of peace. And, and I, can, I can just see, you know, exiled Eddie sitting there reading this letter from Jeremiah and going, Are you kidding me? After what they did to me, <laughs> after how they treated me, the, the people that drug me away from my family. The people that wrecked my business? The people that have me here in this godforsaken Babylon? And you want me to pray that they prosper? Are you, are you kidding me? After what they did to me? Because if you're in exile, one of the easiest things for you to do is focus on who you should blame for being there. Why, why were they in exile? There's a lot of reasons. One was because for generations before, actually for centuries before, God had said, hey, everybody, if you and I stay cool, if you honor me, if you obey me, I will bless you. But I'm gonna tell you, if you don't, then you left me no choice but to put you in a place of exile. You read about it in the first five books of the Bible. You see it throughout scripture where God says, hey, look, you wanna live the right way. If you don't, you're gonna end up in a place you don't wanna be, And so for generations, if you're exiled Eddie, you can look back and see all the places where grandma and grandpa disregarded God and now you're paying the price for it. It's a generational thing that's coming back on you. It was mom and dad's decision that put you in this place. It was the culture of the place where you lived that means that you're stuck. And that could be something where you could start to blame other people or you could blame your enemy it's rotten babylonians who they think they are coming in and invading our land and taking over like this and you can get a real bitterness towards the people who have done you wrong and much of this had to do with their own choices even even the choices of the people in that day and time you can blame the people around you because often when you're in exile one of the first things you want to do is you want to look for and see who you can blame and here's what he says when you want to blame everybody else for your issues instead Will you work for them to find peace? Because when you pray for and work for the shalom of the world around you, you prosper in the process. Jeremiah says, the reason I want you to pray that the city will prosper, because if they prosper, you'll prosper. The way God wants to bless you is by you blessing others that are around you. Because until you allow that shalom into your life, there's no way that your life will thrive. If you're just stuck in exile, you're just gonna fall apart. Okay, are you ready for your happy science fact of the day? Let's talk about scurvy for a moment. Anybody ever heard of scurvy? You dirty pirates, right? Scurvy, you've heard that term before? It was something that would happen oftentimes to sailors if they didn't have enough vitamin C and you'd get the disease scurvy. One of the things that would happen if you get scurvy is that the body no longer produces collagen, and as a result, cartilage, especially kinda in the thorax, begins to disappear. So one of the weird things about scurvy is that if you get scurvy, as your body starts to kinda deteriorate because of it, there are places in your body that need more of the collagen, usually around places where you've had previous wounds. So what will happen is those areas will basically kind of shrivel up first. So if you get scurvy, old wounds that you've had will start to reopen. Would you like for me to describe it further? (laughs) Like this is why oftentimes if you hear descriptions of people hundreds of years ago who had scurvy, they'll say that they would begin to creak and rattle because literally parts of their body are starting to... You you get the picture, right? Right? Old wounds would reopen if you got scurvy because of what was withheld from your body. I sometimes wonder if in exile, we don't fall prey to scurvy of the soul. And we become so focused on all the people we can blame and all the things that aren't right and all the places that that we wish were different that as a result, what happens is that life-giving shalom is withheld from our body and our life begins to shrink away, and one of the first things that happens is we begin to reopen old wounds. And we start to focus so internally that our life becomes so sick that we miss out on the fact that God says, I wanna give you peace, and I wanna give others peace through you so that when you live your life in a way where you work for the peace, that you can only find in in your home if you're an agent of that peace. Or in that crummy job, if you'll be an agent of Shalom. Or in that family relationship, if you will work towards peace in that church situation, in that neighborhood, in your own heart, if you will work for peace with others, even with your captors and those who put you in exile, if you will work for peace in some way in your life, when that happens, that's the way, because if that city prospers, then you will prosper. Does that make sense? So God says, I want you to, I want you to make the most of this situation. You you build your houses, put up that fence, start a nice family, and then work for Shalom. Don't be so focused on yourself and your old wounds that you can't bring peace to others and to your life. And then he says this, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. He says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. You ever heard this verse before? You've been in Hobby Lobby. You've heard this verse before? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. We love that one, don't we? <laughs> it's a powerful verse. It's a great promise. Here's the third thing you do while in exile. Number three, you hope for the future. Number three, you hope for the future. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in the future. You know what's good to know about that passage of scripture is that it wasn't written to us. It was written to a group of people thousands of years ago originally when God spoke it. He spoke it to the exiles in Babylon. Now it applies to us. There's some really good principles here for us to remember that there is a plan that God has for your life. Anybody thankful for that? <laughs> and that it is a good plan that He wants to prosper you and not to harm you. Some of us have this mindset, but whether because of our spiritual upbringing, our home upbringing, whatever, that somehow God is out to get us. And it's good for you to hold on to that truth. God doesn't want to harm you. He wants to prosper you. He wants to, he wants to shalom you. He wants to bring peace to you. He, he doesn't look at your life and go, "Well, they're washed up. I got nothing for them." Even in exile. He says, I've got a hope in a future for you. Here's what we like to do with that passage, though. We we like to get it on a nice looking plaque and we like to just kind of slap it on our house or, or write it in a journal or hold on to that. And all those things are good to do, they're good things for us to focus on. But somehow think that it's the answer to everything if we just say it the right way. Do you remember who this was written to? People who are stuck, people who are in the worst season of their lives. People are in exile. And he says, On the other side of your exile, I've got incredible things for you. But while you're there, you, you make the most of that opportunity where you are. You work for shalom. And then you hope for the future because I have a great future for you. If we could, can we go back to that verse real quick? Jeremiah 29, verse 11, where it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's a great promise. It's powerful on the wall of your house. It's huge when everything's going good. It's kinda hard to hold on to when things are tough, true? Because God, this doesn't look like prosper. Right now, I don't have hope. God, I can't see the future. That's what we call exile, and in those moments, that's when this promise is most important. Not just when everything is good and we love it and we write it in our our notebooks. When this promise really matters is when you're in exile because the words we usually focus on are prosper, not harm, hope, future. The words we probably should focus on are declares the Lord. Because the power of this promise is not what is said, it's who said it, isn't it? The Lord made this promise. So if you're in the middle of a place of exile, if you're stuck, because I can't help but think that some of you in this room hear this message and because of where you're stuck right now, you say, good word, Chad, but (laughs) really, me? You kidding me? Not right now. Doesn't seem to be working right now. You hold on to this promise not because of what was said, although that's powerful, but you hold on to it because of who said it. I had a conversation with a friend this last week. I've known him for over 30 years, and uh, they know me pretty well. So they have license to speak into my life in a way that not too many other people do. And so we were having a conversation, and he heard something I said, and he responded back to it with a question that was really insightful and borderline offensive. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? Like it was something I needed to hear, about an attitude in my life, but most people couldn't say it. If most people said it to me, I'd I'd put you in exile. (laughs) Right, you do that to people. (laughs) But instead when I heard it, it sunk deep, not so much because of what he said, but because of who said it. Because he knows me, and because I know without hesitation that he cares about me, and that he would only say it if he thought it was good for me. When you hear that promise, it's not empty words, and it's not just God messing around. The strength of that promise is that God said it, and he, he says he has a future for you. And some of you would go, I'm living in it right now. I'm living in just a glorious place in my life, and that's awesome. But others of you would say, I don't see it. I feel more like I'm in exile than anything else. If that's the point right now where you're at, then you make the most of that. place. You work for that shalom because God wants to give it to you. And even if you don't see it right now, you hold on hope for the future and you do the fourth thing. The, the, the fourth thing comes from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 12, where we read, and he just said, right, I have, a, I have a hope and a future for you. He says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I'll listen to you, and you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from the place from which I carried you into exile. There's a promise that's there, but he says it starts number four when we seek God. If you're in exile, I know this is super simple, but seek God. Look, one of the things that's really important when you're in exile is to consider this. You make the most of that place, but recognize you're still not of that place. We make the most of the the season, the life, the world that we live in, but ultimately, I live to please God even if that means that I leave by, live by standards that are different from the place where I live. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean that you give in to the way of your enemies. It doesn't mean that you change your principles. It doesn't mean that you don't stand for what's right or, th- or that you, you, you reject those things that are wrong. What it means is that your very heart, you know that God, I'm here, and I'm here to honor and to serve you, and you choose to seek God in that place where you are. This is what God speaks to them. And why this is so important is because this season of exile that we look at 70 years in Babylon, and then literally centuries afterwards, where Israel's still living with the effects of it, in the midst of all of that, in the midst of everything that's happening there, you've gotta realize that all of this is pointing to Jesus. The exile has this tremendous cultural impact because it's not just the Babylonians who basically oppress the Jewish people. After the Babylonians, it's the Persians. Not long after the Persians, it's the Greeks. Not long after the Greeks, it's the Romans. And it's during the season of the Romans that in a little town of Bethlehem when there was a census, that there was a baby that was born. It's funny, we're in the book of Matthew, and when we wrap up the genealogy next month, we're going to be getting to the story of Jesus' birth. We're gonna have Christmas in July. <laughs> so we're gonna, we're gonna look at some of these stories you got to understand that during the exile, temple life was interrupted. Eventually, the temple is destroyed. And so the Jewish people have to go, our identity isn't just in a place and in a building. It becomes in the scriptures. It's where the the rise of the synagogue shows up. And all of a sudden, what's important is not just one place where you meet God, but that you find out that God can meet you in the place where you are because of the oppression, because of the religious things, because of what happens, the exile sets the stage for the perfect timing for the son of God to be born and come and transform humanity. It's out of the exile that Jesus emerges. Sometimes it's out of exile that God can do the most extraordinary things in your life. Why is that? Because a heart that is in exile longs to be saved. And for some of us, we've got to realize if you're in a place where you feel stuck, it's because there's a longing inside of you for the only the thing that God can do. So let's just let's just hit this real quick. I, uh, let's 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 wrap this up. Some of you are going, okay? You talked to me about what to do in exile. How do I get out of it? Anybody? <laughs> like, how do I move past this? Near the end of this same exile, Isaiah writes a prophecy to the people in Babylon. He's talking to them about getting out of this exile, and he says this, Isaiah chapter 55. Different prophet, same situation. He says, same thing, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Chad, why are you sharing this scripture with me? Because if you're in exile, I'd encourage you to take not just Jeremiah 29, but Isaiah 55, and start praying these verses. Like, pray your way through this passage of scripture and say, God, if I'm in a place where I'm stuck, take these principles and help me to see them in my life. He says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. He says, let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For some of us, the first step, if you're gonna get out of exile, is just to pray and say, God, I seek you. And God, I need your forgiveness and I need your help because I haven't been making the most of this. And the last thing I've been has been an agent of peace. And so God, in this place, believing that you have a future for me, I seek you. I ask for your compassion. I ask for your pardon. I ask for your help in my life. He says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord. Why is that so important that he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts? (laughs) Because oftentimes when I'm in exile, that's when I stop thinking the right way. Anybody else? Because when I'm stuck, that's when I just sit there and go, this dumb train's never gonna move. (laughs) Don't you hate it when you get in the lane two where you can't turn around? (laughs) You're like, I can't believe that I'm here. I can't believe that I'm wasting this time. I could be at home. I could be doing this, I could be doing that, I wanted to be there, I'm gonna be late, they're gonna think blah, 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 all those things that run through your mind, and you start looking so internally in those moments of exile, and your thoughts can get so stuck, and so cyclical, and so negative, that sometimes you just have to say, God, I can't get stuck in my own thoughts, because your thoughts are not my thoughts, your ways are not my ways, So God, instead I turn my thoughts over to you. How do you know you can do that? Because as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, God says so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. He's writing to people in exile and he's saying, my word is doing its work. So don't think I'm wasting this time in your life. I'm actually working this time out in your life so that I can bring blessing to you in some way, not to harm you but to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future so you don't see it right now because my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts but recognize that I don't waste a word. Aren't you glad God doesn't waste a word? So if you're stuck right now, if you're waiting for that train to pass, God is not wasting that time in your life. I don't know when it'll make sense but someday it will. And he's gonna show you what he was doing through that exile to prepare you for the way that only Jesus could come and save you. Here's, the, here's how he closes out. He says, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace, and the mountains and the hills before you shall break into singing. Sounds like the sound of music, doesn't it? And the trees of the field shall clap their hands. He says, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. I, I, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I'll take a cypress over a thorn, amen? Now, what he's saying here is, I'm not talking about dry barren, I'm talking about life. He said, instead of the briar, shall come up the Myrtle Beach, Myrtle, Myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. He switches the imagery here. He says, you know that dry, desolate place that you are in? There's gonna come a joy and a vibrancy that all of nature is gonna rejoice. Even the trees are gonna clap their hands. When you clap your hands? When you're filled with joy? When you're filled with freedom? Yeah, you ever, you ever heard a song, been to a concert, been to a game, where you can't help but just clap your hands and cheer, anybody? I haven't seen it in church, that, but you know what I mean, right? There's those moments where you're just filled with something where you're just, God says to those of you in exile, there's coming a moment where I'm gonna fill you with so much joy that you can't help but clap your hands. It's the work that God wants to do in your life. There's a tree in Pakistan, old, old tree. It's been there for probably hundreds of years. And there was a point back in 1898 when something happened and if you go to visit that tree today, you'll still see the branches of the tree and from a bunch of the branches of the tree, they've got shackles on them and metal chains that go down and attach the branches to the ground And there's a sign on the tree. You walk up, you go, that's weird. Like, because you got the tree, you got the chains, on the branches, you walk up and there's a sign on the tree that says, I am under arrest. Back in 1898, there was a British officer that was there named James Squid. How's that for a name? James was pretty drunk one night. And in the dark as he was walking back with some of his kind of underlings, he saw that tree moving in the breeze. And in his drunkenness, he thought that the tree was coming after him. And he said to the people around him, arrest that tree. And they did. And since 1898, that tree's been under arrest, which makes no sense. But is a picture of some of our lives. Because something somebody said or somebody did, you or somebody else has kept you stuck in an exile chained up for far too long and god says i know the plans i have for you declares the lord he plans to prosper you and not to harm you he plans to give you a hope and a future and to fill your tree with so much joy that it can't help but clap its hands and some of you god wants to set free so would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment Because before we walk out this door, before you turn off this service, there's, there's something dynamic that God wants to do in some lives today. For some of us, this has been an interesting look at the Old Testament with some principles that we'll hold on to for a little while. For others of us, it just hasn't applied at all. But for some of you, you'd say, God, you've been talking right to me today because I don't know that I'll get out of this place where I'm stuck. And God wants to set your your tree free today, if you will. And he wants to bring joy and, and shalom, a peace and a wholeness to you, even in the place of your exile. And today, I'm not gonna ask you to take a walk or stand or raise a hand. I'm just gonna ask you to have a very open heart to the Lord that says, God, in this place, maybe even a place where I do not wanna be, would you bring me peace? And would you bring me joy? And would you fill me with life? Because that's what I so desperately need from you today. may even be that you've, you've never known that kind of peace from God. And today you would say, God, I can't do this on my own anymore. I need the forgiveness that only Jesus can bring. And I need the purpose that can only come from, from giving my life to him. And so today, God, I give you my life. If that's you, as I pray in just a moment, it's that simple for you to say, Jesus, I need you. I give you my life. Lord, we thank you for your word and how it speaks to us. And Lord, we thank you for who you are and how you you work in our lives. And God, even for the, the one that's in exile, you don't waste a minute of that time. Your word does not return void. And so Lord, today in Jesus' name, I pray for the one who has been feeling so stuck. God, that you would help them make the most of where they are. And Lord, for the one who just feels like those old wounds keep opening up, Lord, would you help them with wisdom to work for peace and shalom, that the place around them would prosper as they prosper. And Lord, thank you for the hope we have for the future. The hope that you you don't wanna harm us, but you wanna prosper us. And so today we seek you, God. Lord, I pray with the one who says, I can't do it on my own anymore. Jesus, I need you, I give you my life. In this moment, Lord, would you just do something transformational inside of them? And Lord, for the one in this room or watching online who just feels stuck, they feel like they're in exile, Lord, even today, would you fill them with a joy that will carry them through this season and into the promises that you have ahead because of who you are and how much you love us. Lord, our words can only do so much, but Holy Spirit, you can change our lives. So not just in this moment, but throughout the days of this week, Holy Spirit, would you bring back to our minds and speak to our hearts the exact things we need to hear from a God who gives life, even in places of exile. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time in your house. As we go from here, would you go with us? Send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.